dishwasher. And um, basically what we were looking at doing is we got a dishwasher. And what we were looking at doing was just cutting a hole in the, uh, cutting a hole in the current um, sort of caravan kitchen that we had. And um, Shannon's dad come along and he had a look at it and he had a look at the size of the dishwasher. Had a look at where we were going to cut the hole. Had a look at the size of the dishwasher. Looked at Shannon. Looked at me. And said it's not going to fit. Now as a, as a result of this, um, we've, we've gone on this journey which, which, which started with a, a simple skill saw cut into an existing kitchen. <laughs> and uh, uh, for those of you that have been on the journey with us, the pain that I've gone through, um, the joy that Shannon's gone through. Um, fortunately, uh, the kitchen is finished. We've uh, completed it, uh, apart from things like kickboards and, um, and a couple of other things. But for now, it's done. And through this whole process, I've kind of realised um, that I actually find, like, I always thought I was the guy that, um, that enjoyed change, enjoyed novelty. Like, um, if there was something new on a menu, that would be the thing that I would go for. Not for any other reason than I just wanted to taste it. Even if it was bad, but it was a new experience, I'd be like, yep, sign me up. But I've realised through this whole kitchen experience that I actually find change uncomfortable. And I, I, I didn't always find change uncomfortable. I, I, you know, I like the novelty of change. But I'm finding that as I get older, I get um, more comfortable and more set in my ways, and I'm becoming more conservative. And, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I kind of, I kind of hate it. I, like I, like I, I enjoyed those times when I was young that I'd just do stuff for no other reason than to do it. Um, so, great example, on Friday um, at about half past eight at night, I um, went down and saw the young ads, and um, Liam and, and Jacob, um, they decided that they were going to go to Balclutha for the weekend <laughs> at half past eight on a Friday night. And I realised that back in the day, as a bogan, you know, going for a few hundred kilometre um, drive was absolutely fine. And... Um, the real funny thing is, is they never asked me, which, um, I mean, I'm okay with, like, I forgive you guys and stuff like that, but um, I actually realised that I really, really, really didn't want to go. Like, I, like it wasn't even, they never asked me, but in my heart, I was still going, thanks, but no thanks. I was formulating this no response in my head. So I find, I find change uncomfortable. Um, actually, me and pretty much anything to do with an environment, stability is order, um, change is chaos, even if chaos is what I'm currently living in. If chaos is what I'm currently living in, I'll, um, I'll, I'll see that as order. Well, at least I know what this is. At least I know where I stand. At least I, I know not to touch this pile and not to touch this pile because otherwise it will come toppling over, but I at least know where the piles are. So um, there's been different times over the last couple of, um, couple of weeks where the kitchen has caused me something akin to physical pain, emotional pain that's become so real, it's actually caused a physical response in me, and it's something like, <laughs> But we all go through those times, though, hey. We've all had periods in our life where um, change happens, whether we want it to or not. Change happens. We realise we come to it at the end of a season or the start of a season, and we realise that change is coming. We all operate 
slightly differently when it comes to that. Now, um, I have a son named Asher, and he's a, he's a great guy, and we, we do things like buy him clothing, um, because apparently that's a way to show your appreciation and try and keep you know, young people alive. It's, uh, it's part of it. Food, shelter, and clothing is pretty good. Um, if, you ever sh- if you ever saw um, what Asher wears from Monday to Friday, um, without us purposely telling him to, he would wear the same shirt, so the same actual shirt, the same pair of shorts, not because he doesn't have a wardrobe full of clothing, but because, no, I don't need anything else, I'm comfortable with the clothes that I'm in. Now, um, as Christians, it's a wee bit like that for us as well, hey? Like, we become comfortable with where we are. We become comfortable with what we're clothed in. Some of us are still wearing the same clothes that we came to Christianity in, which is like basically just saved enough. (laughs) The salvation and nothing else. But I'm coming to realize that um, God wants to take us through seasons, that there's times in our lives where we're going to change. And if we're actually going to step into the fullness of everything that God has for us, if we're going to step into the destiny and the purpose that God's placed on our lives, that we actually need to be okay with change. We actually need to be okay with criticism. We actually need to be okay with feedback. We actually need to be okay with challenge. So let me tell you a couple of stories about change, and I'll tell you a couple of real-life stories. This is something that I learned, and um, we started to learn it when I was at university, and um, now it's become like a... um, It's become like the textbook change thing. Um... Who remembers Kodak? The Kodak moment. <laughs> Growing up, the Kodak moment. Basically what the Kodak moment was, was that you'd take photos of each other. And the Kodak moment was basically you'd find that perfect time to take that perfect Kodak photo on that perfect Kodak film. And that was basically what would happen. And so what you take um, 27 photos, and as a general rule, probably two or three of those photos were okay. Like, you'd have the perfect... Who's ever had a moment that they took a photo of, like, with the old film camera, and then it wasn't until you got it developed back, and you realised that the Kodak moment was blurry? Some of my favourite photos that I've ever taken are blurry. Like, it's like, I remember that. That was our wedding. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Looks really good. Really, really, really soft focus on me. It's like, I think that's Ray. He looks so good. Yeah, it's it's out of focus. Thank you for that. Anyway, so the Kodak Film Corporation was founded in 1880, and it quickly became the powerhouse of photo paper. If you're going to take photos, you needed to take paper. So this is what happened. Instagram. (laughs) See, the thing is, is by 1976, Kodak accounted for 90% of film and 85% of camera sales in America. Until the 1990s, it was rated one of the world's five most valuable brands after things like Disney, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's. In 1998, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all photo paper worldwide. And it was a hundred and I think it was a hundred and fifty billion dollar industry, like it was billions. All right. Um, within three years, um, actually, within less than eight years, none of us actually realised that we'd never take a photo on a film camera anymore. 
Um, so within a few years, their business model disappeared and they went bankrupt. So what happened to Kodak happened to a whole lot of industries and um, people don't see it coming. So did you think in 1998, some of you weren't born in 1998, that three years later you'd never take pictures on paper film again? So this thing called Instagram came along. So um, it was founded, Kodak founded in 1880, 145,000 employees, um, invented the digital photograph in 1975, a dude called Stephen Sassou invented the actual digital camera. Now, it wasn't like a digital camera like we had for about 10 years. It was an actual digital SLR, digital single lens reflex. Like the technology that he invented is still being used to this day in the digital cameras that we have, okay? And he worked for Kodak. And he, he, took, he took his idea to Kodak and they said, hide this and don't show it to anyone. So he's widely reputed to be the first um, digital, uh, uh, the, the creator of the digital camera. And so anyway, this upstart named um, Instagram came along, founded 2010, sold 2012, had 15 employees, so 15, and completely disrupted an industry. Um, sold their business for $1 billion to Facebook. You imagine if there's 15 employees, sold it for $1 billion. I mean, if you'd taken shares in Instagram, that would be pretty good. To Facebook, which had 5,000 employees, 10 of whom were more wealthy than the people that had Kodak. See, um, as Christians, one of the things that we need to never do is we, uh, we need to ne make sure that we never say we don't have enough resource. We have enough. Um, Cuba, so Cuba was taken over by Fidel Castro, had 30 people. And he lost 29 of them. They, they went missing. They ended up somewhere completely different. So Kodak now, um, 800,000 800, rolls of film. Instagram 2013, 60 million photos per day. Images per roll, 27 photos. And it would take up to a, a week to even a month to um, process them. Instagram 365 days in a year. Total images processed by Kodak in 1999. 21 billion photos. Total images processed by Instagram in 2013, 21 billion photos. 60 million photos, average photos a day, and Instagram's more popular now. 365 days in a year. The cost per processed image for um, the roll was $5 a roll. Cost per, per processed image for Instagram was $0. And total imaging costs, $8 billion. Total imaging costs, free. You can do a lot with a little. You can do a lot if you're willing to change. You can do a lot. Um, when change comes, we can do one of two things. So in 1975, Kodak actually literally had 30 years to change. 30 years to change. Um, they owned the technology that ended up disrupting and bankrupting them but they weren't willing to accept new things. They weren't willing to move with the time. They had a 30-year window and a seat set on their hands and died. What about these guys? <laughs> so Netflix and Blockbuster. So in 2000, a guy called Reed Hastings, the founder of a fledgling company called Netflix, flew to Dallas to propose a partnership to Blockbuster CEO. So that's the equivalent of Video Easy over here. Okay. Um, the idea was that Netflix would run Blockbuster's brand online 
and the other firm, uh, and Antioco would promote Netflix in its stores, Hastings got laughed out of the room, so the guy that was in charge of Netflix. We know what happens next. Blockbuster went bankrupt in 2010, and Netflix is now a $28 billion company, about 10 times what Blockbuster was worth. Today, Hastings is widely hailed as a genius, and Antioco is considered to be a fool. What does that mean for us? Why would we look at these things? But well, what I'm trying to say today is that there's going to be times in our lives where there's going to be change in our lives, both good change and bad change. There's going to be times where God's going to ask us to change, not for any other reason than he wants us to go from the good to the great. He wants to go from where we are to where he wants us to be. He wants us to go from what is right now into the destiny that he's called us to. We need, to be, we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to adapt or risk becoming irrelevant. But I don't know about you, change can be really difficult. Whether it's changing a habit or an attitude or a job or a city, change is always a challenge. And change is even more difficult when it's imposed on us suddenly or without our approval. For example, a change in health a change in a relationship for any reason. There's always an element of pain and change, even when the change is good. Now, for about half the people in this room, half the people in this room are here because of the opportunities that were in Cromwell. Like, we chose to come here because of the opportunities that were available to us. But there was an element of pain in that. Like, when we get a new and better job in a new region, it means leaving friends and familiar places behind. And this can be really painful. It's for this reason people naturally avoid or put off change because they want to avoid the pain that usually accompanies change. Of course, we all know that not all change is good. There are many changes in life that can be painful and sad because the change that takes place isn't always for the better. And then there are changes that change nothing. Sorry. And then there are changes that change nothing, like people changing careers only to find out that their new jobs don't make them any happier than their old ones. Have you ever tried to run away from your problems? And you you go to a new area, you run away from where you currently are and you realise that no matter where you go, you end up having the same problems anyway? (laughs) Jonah did that. (laughs) Um, We had this friend, um, we'll call him Jairus because that was his name. Um, We actually, at one stage, we actually asked him to be a, a children's pastor down at church in Invercargill. He was a great guy, very, very gifted, very talented. The kids absolutely loved him. And anyway, um, he decided um, through a whole range of things um, that he was going to actually head somewhere else. So he went to Geraldine. And um, I'd actually organised some teacher aiding work for him as well. So he was going to be a children's pastor and a teacher aid. And he said, oh, I'm not really sure if that's my destiny. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Geraldine and I'm going to find myself up in Geraldine. Anyway, he runs away to Geraldine. So this happens over the course of like a week. A week he decides that he's going to do this. Um, after a week... Um, he goes to Geraldine. The first job that he finds is a teacher rating job. Um, the second thing that he finds is that he gets plugged into his brothers and his sister's church. And um, they make him the children's pastor and then a youth worker. And so he ran away from his destiny down in Invercargill as a, as a, child, as a pastor and as a teacher aide. And ran straight into the destiny that God had for him as a pastor and as a teacher aide. And he's still doing that, that kind of work. Uh, to this day. There's a challenge that comes when positive change happens. Now the thing is, is the Bible's actually filled of, 
of, of stories of people who had to experience the pain associated with change in order to receive the blessings that positive change brought into their lives. I mean, um, one guy that um, Shannon and I talk about often, just because um, you know he sort of resonates with us, is um, Abraham. Oh, got that in the wrong order. <laughs> Abraham really resonates with us, and, and mainly because of the call of God that was put on his life. And we sort of like one of the things that we um, one of the things that we really feel called to do was we really felt the call of Abraham. And so in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. It's a pretty interesting thing. Leave your family, leave your culture, leave everything that you know to this land that I've called you to. Go from where you are to where I want you to be. But this is what happens. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in, you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now I don't know about you, but I can think of um, really distinctive times in my life where God tells us to go, and I've said no. <laughs> See, the thing is, is Abraham's not like this. Note the change that Abraham had to make. He had to leave his country and go live in a foreign land that he didn't know. Look at the pain involved in this change. There's the fear of living in a different culture, different language, different traditions. There's the pain of leaving his relatives, his home, his friends behind for good. There's the risk of leaving the security of what he knows, the security of his home, for the unknown place that God was sending him to. What he was doing was going from what was known to what was unknown. Now, in our Christian walk, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that can struggle with this at times. When we're called to go from what is known, what we feel comfortable with, what we feel complacent with, to what is unknown, the unknown reaches of, and depths of grace. But look at the blessings associated with this change. His, na- his name and his family would be great. God would give him many descendants, and the world would be blessed through him. Now, Abraham considered the change and examined the pain and decided that the blessings were worth it. He counted the costs, and he went through with that. Today, Abraham is called the father of all those who have faith. Um, in Galatians 3, 7, Paul says, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. How cool is that? To be someone that would lead generational change that would still be resonating to this day. Now, I believe that there's people in the room that are like that, where um, one of the reasons that you find yourself here is that you've been called to lead generational change. What's come before is not the same as what comes after. There's others of you here, you stand on the shoulders of people who have been those people, the ones that have trailed the, um, trailblazed the way, that have pioneered the way in order for you to live the life that you're currently living. Now, let me give you another example. This is the example of the rich young ruler. So Matthew 19 verse 16 says, And someone came to him, meaning Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he, being Jesus, said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not be a false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And here's the important part. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one that owned much property. See, note the change facing this wealthy young man. He had to change his value system. When we choose to follow Jesus, we have to change our values. Our values begin to change. What we valued before is not the same as what we value now. Amen? He valued the law and one's ability to obey it. He wanted to, he wanted to make the mark. He valued money in the society and the prestige that it gave him. So there was ambition. That's one of the things that a lot of young people struggle with. They want to be significant. Not realizing that joining themselves with Jesus would give them more significance than they could have by themselves anyway. Jesus meets this man and challenges him to change his core values. From the self-righteousness derived by ticking the boxes, obeying the law to righteousness that would come from believing in him. Oh, from the self-righteousness derived from obeying the law to righteousness that would come from believing in Jesus. From the comfort and the assurance that wealth provides to trusting that Jesus would provide for him. There would be pain here. There's the pain that comes from swallowing his pride. And allowing his relationship with Jesus to be the thing that makes him perfect. Not his ability to know and obey the law. And also the pain one experiences when you have to rely on someone else for your needs instead of yourself. Now a lot of Kiwis that, um, have that issue, don't they? We, you know, we want to be independent. We want to be able to stand on our own two feet. But actually... The picture that Jesus paints for us is he wants us to be one that leans into him. He wants to be one that will actually hang out with him, that will rely on him. These were not things that caused physical pain, but the psychological and spiritual discomfort of these changes were really great. And yet, there was great reward to be had for making these changes. So after he was, um, after he was selling his possessions, Jesus said, and then come follow me. He was literally asking him, man, you've, you've hit the mark. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my apostle. Like he was the 13th apostle. Jesus was literally telling him, come follow me. Like it, but his life was going to change at this point just by being faithful in this one area of his life that he was still holding on to. This one stronghold in his life. Realizing that it's not by his might, not by his power, but by Jesus' might and Jesus' power that he would be able to have that reward. Jesus personally asked this rich young ruler to come and follow him, just as he had asked James and John and Peter and Matthew, who all changed their lives, their beliefs, their jobs, in order to follow Jesus as his apostles. This man could have been an apostle if he would have made the changes and followed Jesus. We could be reading one of his gospels. The rich young ruler, we would know his name, actually, for a start. He would be mentioned by name. Or his epistles today. We could be talking about the miracles he performed or the churches that he planted. But instead, he'll always be remembered as just some guy who went away from Jesus discouraged because he wouldn't change. 
See, Codec and Blockbuster, I had a, I, like, I, I really like, um, I did like um, level one management, so I'm pretty much a manager now. Um, uh, like, I took a hundred level paper introduction to management, I thought, yeah, no, I got this. So, no, that's not true. Uh, I did take a hundred level management, but that doesn't make you a manager. But, um, I read this um, thing on Forbes magazine that when it talked about the demise of Kodak and Blockbuster, these like old sort of like dinosaur type companies, and they actually suggested that it's complacency that makes them irrelevant. And I honestly believe that as Christians that's true for us as well. It's our complacency that makes us irrelevant. See, complacency means a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. And as baby Christians, we all had that moment, hey, <laughs> look, I got this. I know exactly what's going on. I'm a Christian now. I've got it all locked down. I've got my life together. I've noticed that the more that I mature as a Christian, the more I need Jesus. The more that I mature as a Christian, the more I realize how much I've missed the mark, that without Jesus, I'm lost. Um, satisfaction or contentment's like a cinnamon, synonym, not cinnamon. Mmm, cinnamon. Um, Self-content. So comfort, comfortable. See, Jesus never told us that we were going to live a safe life. He told us that we are going to live a faith life. Yeah? So anyway, I wanted to show you... Oh. This guy. So his name is Benjamin E. Mays. Um, you guys might not actually know his name, but you'll know a lot of the names of the people that he mentored, the people that he looked after. Um, this is Martin Luther King's mentor, Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor. Um, a lot of the great um, African-American civil rights um, leaders were all mentored. This is their youth pastor. And this is, um, this is a quote. This is his, his most famous quote, and it's probably one that you've never seen before. But it's something that I really dearly love. He says, the tragedy of life is not found in failure, but complacency, that comfort, that settledness. Not in you doing too much, but doing too little. Not in you living above your means, but below your capacity. It's not failure, but aiming too low. That's life's greatest tragedy. Um, the Bible puts it this way in um, Proverbs 24, verse 33 and 34. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He wants us to be on the edge. He wants us to be pushing the boundaries. He wants us to go into those unknown reaches where um, everything's going to fall over but for him. So if that's the case, what should we do about it then? See, all of this discussion brings about a change, uh, about change brings us to a change that we need to be challenged with. The change that we need to do is concerns our faith. See, we need to decide if our faith is going to be a part of our lives or if it's going to become our lives, the very thing through which everything else is filtered, how we see the world is changed by who we are and whose we are. See, when faith is part of our lives, we control it. If it's part of our lives, basically what we're doing is you can have Sunday, you can have part of Tuesday, and apart from that, I've got the rest. Thanks very much. 
But when faith is our lives, it controls us. Our faith is actually, it changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we act. For example, when faith is only part of our lives, we do just enough not to feel guilty. Like we're just ticking the boxes. But God doesn't want a generation of box tickers. He wants to be ones whose faith so fuels them and fires them up that they'll go out into the places that other people fear to tread. See, when faith is our life, we can't do enough for God. And so the same as everything else, this pain is connected with this kind of transformation. The pain that comes with removing yourself as the focus of every decision and making Christ the one that you live for. Um, there's the inconvenience of making Jesus a priority over our career, over our recreation, and even friends and family at times. There's also the uneasiness that we feel when we unplug ourselves from this world and its cares and riches in order to pursue the kingdom of God as our first priority. So we don't mind if Christianity is just a part of our lives like a hobby, um, but it's world-changing when it becomes our lives. It's world-changing when it becomes our lives. Changed people change people. But there's pain as well, hey. But there's blessings that come when this change is made. It says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have kept the faith, and the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. See, Paul's life was his faith, and when he faced death, he was absolutely assured of his place in heaven. When your Christian faith is your life, you are able to see and taste heaven here on earth, so you'll have no fear of death or leaving this world. See, if you fear God over all other things, then fear is no longer an issue for you. Because your God's bigger than any problem, any fear, any situation that you can face. And if we place our fear in the place that it should go, then we can place our faith in the place where it should go. We place our fear into God, and we place our faith out into the world. See, only those whose faith is their lives are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and they will be satisfied. When your faith is your life, you're at peace with God, satisfied in the deepest regions of your soul. So how do you know if you've accepted that faith challenge? Ah, we know because of our fruit. See, Acts 4.4 says, many of those. So here's these guys that let their faith be their lives on the day of Pentecost and as a result of that. But many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of the men came to be 5,000. When an entire church is filled with people whose faith is their life, the impact on the community is huge. You begin to impact your world. Your passion is infectious. It changes the people around you. You've got people coming up to you saying, what is it about you? Why, why do you have this light in your eyes that I don't seem to have? Oh, that's the hope that can only be found in Jesus. Let me introduce you to that hope. See, how will we know if our faith challenge has been accepted, if we're, if we're willing to change ourselves in order to change the world? See, we know who accepted it in the past by their actions. You will know by their fruits. For example, Abraham left his village and traveled to Canaan. The rich young ruler sadly rejected Jesus' offer and he left, never to be heard from again. See, our willingness to adapt and change will be shown 
in our fruit. If we, if we stay and we're exactly the same as we've always been, you'll get what you've always got. If you, do, you, if you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. And so we need to be willing to go into those other places in God. We need to be able to be challenged and changed for God and for good. What would happen if we became more accepting of the challenge of change? See, we, as a, we would be as a church and a people, uh, we would be both as a church and people, people who are more mobile, flexible and agile. We would be okay with failure. We would be okay with walking towards the messes. Because the thing is, is if that we are okay with change, then we're okay with flux. We're okay with um, things being unstable at times. Because our hope... Um, Our hope is anchored in that which is an anchor for our soul. Our hope is found in Jesus. See, we'd become innovators. We would do church differently to the way that we've done it before. When um, Shannon and I first started um, dreaming and scheming about what we see here today, um, we talked about being a Pinterest church. You know, where basically we would take ideas and it it would be tiny budget and it would be huge impact. And that's what we're starting to see. It would be a wiki church where people would come together and it wouldn't necessarily be ideas that would come from the top. It would be ideas that would come from everyone. And what would happen is that if Joseph had an idea, then as a church we'd get around Joseph's idea. And if it was breathed on by God, we we would just go after that. And and together, collaboratively, we would impact our region. Not from a top-down model, but from all around. See, I think one of the things that sometimes happens is we wait for the leader or the pastor to actually provide vision. And yeah, that's 100%, absolutely. But there's also a personal call of God on your life as well. There's things that you are called to do individually as well as what we're called to do as a body of believers, as a church that have chosen uh, chosen to relate to each other. Um, If we're willing to become more accepting of the challenge of change, would challenge the status quo, what is, what's currently happening, and we'd move from what is to what could be. Salvation would come to whole households because we wouldn't keep banging our heads against the same door over and over and over again, but we'd start trying to climb through windows and take roofs off and, um, and dig tunnels underneath, whatever it took to actually um, reach a generation that's, that, that, that's calling out for this hope that we have. So I ask today, what change needs to take place in your life in order to make God the priority? Um, and I think I, I think I actually mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. It could have even been last week, but I, the picture that I have, it's almost like a velvet rope across certain areas of your life. Um, you know, um, it's almost like the VIP, you know, you see in the movies where they have the VIP room. And, and I see that there's, um, there's regions and areas of your life that you're quite happy for God to, to work in, areas of your life that you're quite happy for God to move in. But then there's some areas where the velvet ropes across. It's like a museum exhibit. Don't touch that. That's still too painful. Don't touch that. I don't want to change that. Don't touch that. I think I've got a hold of that. And all it is is duct tape across the door. <laughs> Caution. <laughs> So what change needs to take place in order to make God the priority and not just part of your life? Do you need to step out in a way that you never have before? Do you need um, prayer for something that you've never had prayer before, uh, for? Um, to be a greater man or woman of faith. Maybe the change necessary is only 
one that God can see. There's moments in our lives where change is necessary or due. Or due. Um, when we change ourselves, we change the world. Um, we're going to get the worship team up. If you, if you need prayer today or you want prayer today, um, you'll know if you want prayer because you want to come up and you want people to lay hands on you, pray for you, prophesy for you, encourage you. See, that's the Holy Spirit moving in your life. He's prompting you. We'd love to pray for you. And I'm fully believing that what's going to happen is that um, in this environment, see, when we put ourselves in an environment where, where believers gather together, God moves in really powerful ways. The Holy Spirit can impact our lives. If you've come in one way and you've come in um, discouraged, if you've come in feeling hopeless, man, my God is the God of hope. My God is the God of light. My God is the God of life. And so he will, if you allow him to, if you pull back that velvet rope, he will change your life in a ways that you can't possibly imagine. And he's a gentleman. I've never had times where God's worked in my life, and even though there's been pain in that growth time, I've never wanted to go back after. I've never wanted to go back to that thing that I used to have because that thing was gone. That thing was dead. That thing was causing me weight. That thing was causing me pain. So God bless you guys. Let me pray for you. And then if you need prayer today, um, come up. Lord, I thank you so much that, the, that you love us exactly where we're at. I thank you so much that you love us so much that you don't want us to stay exactly where we are right now. That there's always better to come. That the best is yet to come. Lord, I just pray in those areas that we've blocked off. I pray in those areas where we've put the caution tape over that you would work in us so that we would feel vulnerable and comfortable enough for you to be able to work in those areas that we've placed off limits as well. That your Holy Spirit would flow right through uh, the house that is us. And Lord, where there needs house cleaning, where there needs um, the house to be cleaned, that you would clean it. Uh, Where there needs to be renovations and reconstruction. Well, Lord, you're the ultimate renovator. You're the ultimate reconstructor. Lord, where we've become comfortable and complacent, Lord, would you disturb us? Would you challenge us? Would you continue to push us forwards, God? So that we wouldn't be ones that think that we have it all together, but we would be ones that would be chasing after you with everything that we have. In your mighty name. Amen.